Today's uh, scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. It's Romans 8, 18 through 25, and I'll be reading from the NIV, <clears throat> verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The word of the Lord. So this being our first Sunday of Advent, our, our focus is on the hope we have in Christ Jesus. The word Advent just means simply arrival of a... Advent also anticipates the second arrival of Jesus, the second coming of Christ, when he'll come to judge the world of the, the living and the dead. But Advent uh, in, proclaims then that Jesus has both already come as Savior and Redeemer, but yet Advent then also must proclaim the second coming of Christ that we look forward to. And that's why hope is such a theme for Advent, because we have hope not only in what Christ has done and his promises he's given us, but hope in what he will do as he has promised to bring us into his new glory or his recreated heaven and earth with new resurrected bodies. So the four themes of Advent are hope, peace, joy, and love. And today we focus on hope we have in Christ. The general meaning of hope is, in the noun form, is the following. A feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. And the verb, then, form of hope is just expecting or desiring a certain thing to happen. Having hope in Jesus means that we trust him and what he has accomplished on our behalf, and then we are expecting or desiring what he has promised to do for us who follow him as Lord. And that, like I said, is his promise of giving us eternal life, new resurrected bodies that will be living forever with him in his presence in the new age to come, the new heaven and the new earth that the scriptures speak of. We will live in harmony with creation in that time and with each other, which is something we don't necessarily experience today in this reality. So we look forward to that with hope. But according to psychology's hope theory, hope involves believing that we have the capacity, the pathways, and the resolve to reach our goals. That's psychology's hope theory. And basically, this is the belief that we have the capacity, 
uh, the opportunities and the determination to reach our goals. And so it really, the psychology's hope depends solely on ourselves. It depends on our capacity, our circumstances, and how determined we are to get what we want or achieve what we want. If we have belief in ourselves in this way, then we will have hope according to the psychology of the day. Uh, but scriptures contrast this kind of hope very much so because the Bible proclaims that hope is in God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son and the promises that they have given those who live on earth. The hope of salvation that they have promised us in Christ Jesus by faith in him as Lord. So let's do, look at the other side of hope then, hopelessness. Hopelessness is a feeling that things will not and cannot <clears throat> change and creates a sense that there is no solution to the problem that we face. And therefore, we are hopeless. We don't see the way out. Hopeless thoughts are like, for example, I can't handle this. I don't, I don't see a way out. Or I'm so upset at everything. Uh, hopeless feelings might be that we're frightened or worried Hopeless behavior could be to just stay in bed, uh, to withdraw, to isolate ourselves. Those could be some signs of hopelessness in our lives. Or in contrast, in hopeful thoughts for us who follow Christ is God will help me with this, whatever it may be. Or that we can get through this with God's help. Or this is just a temporary setback and we can adjust with God's help. There's words of hope. And look at Hebrews 6.19, which is referring to the promises of God with hope. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Would you say that your hope in Jesus is firm and secure? Nothing can shake it? Followers of Jesus were often persecuted in the first and second century uh, A.D., and they experienced threats to their life. They experienced uh, uh, rejection because of their faith in Christ. Even sometimes economically, they were, uh, in a sense, ostracized because they would not worship the Roman emperor like was demanded of them. And in the city of Rome, they had a law that you could not bury your dead loved ones within the city limits. So Christians and other people like Jews would go outside the city limits, and they built these catacombs, which are tunnels under the earth, and they buried their loved ones. And the reason I bring this up is because we have found that this image of an anchor is in the catacombs and as a symbol of hope that Christians had beyond death, beyond the grave. And they would do these Christian symbols and this anchor with the name of their loved ones where they put their loved ones uh, and buried them there or... or put them their little slots where they put their bones or their bodies. And that's where we see these images of an anchor over and over again. A symbol of hope beyond the grave in Christ Jesus. Many Christians over the centuries and even today have faced great difficulties and death in hope in Christ. They had hope as they faced terrible situations and circumstances. In Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, which I just read, refer to this hope in the Lord Jesus and his promises. 
The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Christians in Rome, that, that pagan city. And the Apostle Paul had many difficulties in his life and even faced death multiple times. What do we learn of this hope in Christ as described here in these verses of Romans chapter 8? And that's what we're looking at today. And listen again to verses 18 through 21, which say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, the hope stated here is highlighted for you to see easily is God's glory to be revealed in us who follow Jesus. And similarly, the children of God will be revealed. That's the hope we have because this is referring to when we are resurrected and given our new eternal bodies. And then thirdly, the creation will be liberated from decay and recreated just as we will be in our resurrected bodies. The new earth and the new heavens will be recreated for eternity, just as they were originally created in the beginning, before sin entered into the picture. This is the hope that is mentioned here and that we have in Christ Jesus. The hope described here was spoken of by Jesus himself and the prophets hundreds of years before Jesus, the glorious future in store for us who follow and believe in the Lord Christ. So did you notice the emotions associated with this hope, though, that are mentioned in this text? Notice, and let me uh, change which words are highlighted there. Yeah, waits and eager expectation, and then also frustration. These are emotions that connected to our hope in Christ. And there are more emotions mentioned in the next verses, 22 through 25, which say, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. No, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So the emotions described that accompany this hope in Christ is that we are waiting with eagerness and patience. That's the emotions that are wrapped around this hope in Christ. And this is like an excitement that we will anticipate what will happen. You ever experienced that? When you're excited about something, but it's not happened yet, and you're anticipating what will happen, what will occur. It's exactly like that here. And this also explains the... Uh, why we are waiting, because Christ has said in the future, this is what's in store for you. So let's ask ourselves, are we excited about what Christ has for us? Is, is this kind of, when we evaluate ourselves as followers of Jesus, are we excited about what he has for us in the future? Or are we so wrapped up in the present that we don't see the present with the future in mind? 
Because that's how hope is to change who we are in the way we live today. And then there are these other emotions mentioned as well. Frustration in the first few verses, and then if you look here, groaning as in the pains of childbirth. You know, as a man, I can't relate to that, but I can only imagine. But as my sisters here, some of you have gone through that, and others are anticipating that maybe. Uh, that does not look like a pleasant groaning and painful uh, and groaning inwardly as well. That's, that's the same thing. Frustration here describes a feeling often that we have in our present circumstances that are unpleasant when we know that it's not going to be like this forever. So we are frustrated with the present, though we are anticipating a much better time to come. As they say, the best is yet to come. And that is so true for us as followers of Jesus. But it causes us frustration at times. And then this also explains the groaning inwardly, or as in the chain of the pains of childbirth, that we're inwardly frustrated, we're groaning, thinking like, oh, when is this going to come? When is this suffering going to be relieved? Because what is to come is so much better than what I'm experiencing right now, and I look forward to that time to come. We inwardly groan with anticipation of our adoption, of that completion of Christ coming and making all things new, including ourselves and the redemption of our bodies. And as we remember the first advent of Jesus this Christmas, let's also look forward to his second advent, his second coming, the final judgment, the establishment of God's kingdom on earth physically, and he will reign as king forever as the scriptures claim. You know, the hope we have in Jesus enables us to persevere in this difficult life. Because life is hard. Life is not pleasant often. It's difficult, and hope helps us persevere. And there's been scientific experiments that show this. If this is helpful to you, it's interesting to me. In 1950s, a long time ago, this guy, Carl Richter, he, did, he was a professor at John Hopkins, and he, was, he became famous for his drowning rats experiment. Uh, it was cruel, but it demonstrated the power of hope in the sense and resilience in the midst of different difficult circumstances. And so this is, this is what Carl Richter did. Uh, it focused on how long rats could swim before they drowned. Very simple. Uh, he conducted his experiments by placing rats in buckets of water, and then he watched and timed how long they could swim before they died. Pretty cruel, but that's what the whole experiment pretty much was. So he started the experiment with 12 domesticated rats, like pets, you know, people took care of them. And he, then he put these rats in buckets of water, and he timed how long they lasted. Well, Three of the 12 died within two minutes. But nine of the 12 swam and swam literally for days before they drowned, right? I mean, that's torture if you think about it, but this is the experiment. So it was for days. And then he did his second uh, group of rats. He had 34 wild rats that they had caught. And wild rats are like ferocious. They're excellent swimmers because they, they do that to survive in their lives. So he put the 34 rats in the buckets, 
And despite their fitness and their excellent swimming ability, within just minutes, all 34 were dead. They drowned. So then, to prove his thesis of hope and the power of hope, what he did next is he got another cohort of wild rats. And then he put them in the bucket. But this time, instead of just standing there timing until they died, he was timing them and waiting until they, the moment of right before they were about to drown. He could sense it. He could see it. They give up. And he pulled all of them out of the buckets. And he helped them get back into, like, health again. You know, they like to recover from their traumatic experience, right? And then once they seemed to be recovered, he put them back into the bucket to swim again and timed them. And they, every single one of those rats, swam and swam much longer than just a few minutes. Because, and his theory was, because they now knew that they had been saved once, and so they had hoped that maybe they would be saved again. It didn't seem so much like, I'm just going to give up. You know, I can't get out of here. This was what Kurt wrote. He says, the rats quickly learn that the situation is not actually hopeless. And even more than what was observed that these rats you know, knowing that Jesus has saved us and what he has done for us and knowing what he will do for us enables us who follow Jesus to persevere through whatever comes to us in life. Because like the rats <laughs> that were saved, we know we were saved and we believe we will be saved as well. This is the power of hope. And it, it enables us who follow Jesus to look differently at pain and suffering that comes our way. This is very un-American thinking, right? America is consumers. We consume to make our lives comfortable. We try to avoid pain at all costs. But as followers of Jesus, we view pain and suffering quite differently than what the American culture wants us to view it as. I mean, for example, the world in general... Think of Buddhism and Hinduism. They view death completely different, in a sense, like philosophically, they view uh, death differently than Christianity. Buddhism and Hinduism try to understand death uh, thinking in the sense that uh, they, they remove personal identity because pain and suffering in this life uh, it can only be escaped by being reincarnated in, as a different entity that probably won't remember their previous life, and then eventually, the whole goal is to become nothing, nirvana, and be absorbed into the universe in a sense. And then, therefore, you no longer exist as an individual, and therefore, you no longer experience pain and suffering because you'd just be nothing. That's in contrast to faith in Christ Jesus, which gives us then the opportunity to know the living God and creator personally and to be known by him and trusting in him. And if a person believes in Christ Jesus, then we will also live to see God and be in his presence for eternity, and we will get to see others who also have followed Christ in and for eternity. And our personal identity is preserved in that sense. And so therefore, understanding this and believing this as followers of Jesus, Christians do not view suffering as meaningless. And death is like the end, or a step closer to becoming nothing. 
No, but simply we view it as a part of our journey to a much better life that God has prepared for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is our hope. And this is why the Bible speaks of suffering with, as something that God uses for good, which is amazing if you think of it from the world's point of view. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Because of that hope, hope helps us persevere. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Take, for example, the account of Joseph that we just looked at in our series through Genesis. His brothers sold him into slavery. He, what they did was evil, absolute evil. And he suffered greatly. Joseph suffered so much. But yet God then later, much later, raised him up into a position in Egypt to make provision for the people of that land to survive this seven-year drought. So Joseph, God, through Joseph, saved many lives in Egypt, and then even his brothers and his family he saved as well, the brothers who sold him into slavery. Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says there, you, to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And of course, the greatest example of God using suffering and evil for good is the crucifixion of Jesus himself, where it was evil that brought Jesus to the cross, but God used the cross as a way, a means for salvation for all of the world, a good thing. God uses suffering and pain for the good of his purposes. And so we can have hope even in the midst of suffering. The Apostle Paul wrote of a thorn in his flesh uh, in his writings, and we don't actually know what that was. Some people think it had something to do with his eyesight. But he asked God three times to take it away, and God did not. He, uh, he ordained that Paul was to live with this suffering. Even though Paul himself had been used by God to heal many people at different times, God did not heal him when he asked. And instead, God said to Paul, as Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God has purpose for suffering and pain, and therefore we know and have hope in the midst of our difficulties. But why does God allow, I mean, why does he have to do it this way? through suffering and pain in our lives. It's because God knew our situation in this reality right now is that this is really, we only really learn things the hard way. And it sticks better that way for us. I mean, to quote C.S. Lewis, he says there, a famous quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, suffering gets our attention like nothing else does. The months and years immediately following the death of my father, you know, back in 1986, uh, I suffered in the sense I kept uh, asking God, 
you know, yelling at God, saying, why? why? Why did you have my dad die at such a young age? He was only 50. I was 20. And I kept asking that question over and over again. But now looking back after so much time, you know, I see the changes that occurred in my life because of my father's death. Uh, that, and these changes were for good. Uh, I, it focused me immediately on what was most important in my life. I did not take life for granted once he died because I took his life for granted and it was gone. I didn't take my life for granted. I didn't take the life of anybody I knew for granted. It helped me in that sense. Um, and I even seriously wonder if I would be a pastor today if my father didn't die when he had. I mean, I don't know. You know, who, who knows how the timeline would have changed, right, if my father was still alive. But it definitely deeply impacted me because it sharpened my focus on following Christ because I was a follower when he died and, and, it, and it stripped away the things that I was that weren't important. You know, I can't to this day answer why God allowed my father to die at that time in his life. I don't know the answer to that. But I have begun to see the, some of the good things that came from the ripple effect of that tragedy in my life. You know, oftentimes during hardship and trouble and tragedy, we focus often on what we have lost instead of what we have been given or that we still have. And we know as followers of Jesus that we have a God who is transforming us into the image of his son who is more beautiful than we can even imagine. And we are being transformed into his image. It's a beautiful thing. And when I was thinking of this hope, uh, this whole image of hope in Christ, I loved this story. It touched my heart. And it's about this dog named Faith. Cutie little thing. Um, Faith was born in 2003, so Faith is no longer with us. But was born only with two hind legs. Very deformed, uh, hardly any legs in the front. And so Faith would have died if the owner did not rescue her from her mom. Actually, when they found Faith, she was being smothered by her mother. So they're just a dog knew that, I guess, not going to last, so I might as well smother her. And the owner saved Faith. And then Faith's owner taught her how to stand up by using peanut butter in a spoon because Faith loved peanut butter. And so she would actually stand up to get the peanut butter off the spoon. So stand up like that. And then the owner also realized that Faith did not like snow on her belly, so she would stand up without peanut butter whenever they put her in the snow. And that's the picture here. You can see there's a little snow on the ground. And so with the snow then and the spoon of peanut butter, uh, Faith began to like, if you moved it a little way, she'd hop on her two back legs. And then with even more of that, Faith began to know how to walk on two back legs with no front legs, standing upright like a human. And Faith learned how to walk. And, and once that happened, everywhere they went, um, she would be walking on her or hopping on her two legs when they go to the shopping mall. Everybody would take notice and pull out their cameras and start taking pictures. And, and, and she, Faith had a positive effect on everybody who saw her because it was just such an amazing feet to see a dog walking like a human, right, and no two front legs. It, it had a wonderful effect, and look at these amazing pictures. This is uh, her owner with the full-grown faith, and then here they are going for a walk. Isn't that crazy? 
And then she'd go to classrooms, and the kids would be like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And they'd go any, everywhere they'd go. There's one more picture here. Yeah. Out on the sidewalk, people just stopped, and they'd want to touch her, and they're just amazed by this dog that learned how to walk on two back legs. And there's Faith. Yeah. And the reason why I thought of this story is because in a similar way that Faith's owner did for her, God does for us. He doesn't necessarily take away our suffering or whatever is in our life that is causing our suffering, but he then teaches us when we look to him in faith to learn how to walk with our suffering and keeping our focus on him because he has promised to be with us. Emmanuel means God with us. He is with us in the midst of our suffering and it's because we have hope in him and what he will do in the future, and that he is with us no matter what, we have the strength to persevere and even grow and shine for his glory in a way that would be obvious to everyone else. I mean, you think of how obvious a dog walking like a human is. It'd be similar for us who follow Jesus with hope in the midst of terrible circumstances. Talk to anybody in hospital service. They will tell you that there's a difference between people who have hope and people who are there without hope. Completely different. God does not leave us alone in our suffering to be miserable without hope. No, he is there with us in our suffering. And as Pastor Tim Keller wrote in his book, The Reason for God, and I recommend that book to you if you haven't read it, listen to what he says in that book. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself in Christ Jesus. Do we believe this? Because this is the question that God is asking you and me every day is, do they really believe that I took the suffering for them in Christ Jesus to make a way of salvation, to, that I love them and I am with them and they want to follow me and worship? Will we trust in Christ Jesus as our Savior and our hope for the future as well as for today? Or maybe our hope is just simply in the good, good grades. Or our hope is to get an accepted into a university, a good university. Or maybe our hope is to find a marriage partner. And then if we find a marriage partner, our hope is to have children. And then if we have children, our hope as parents is that our children can achieve certain things so that they can be secure in our eyes and in life. Or maybe our hope is that we'll have a comfortable retirement and live a long life with good health. But what if we don't get good grades? What if we don't get accepted into the university that is good? What if we don't find a marriage partner? Or if we do find a marriage partner, what if we can't have children? Or what if we don't have uh, a good retirement and long life when we get sick and we have to use up all our money or whatever. What if these things don't happen? Then our hope is lost if we place our hope in these things. This is why Jesus came that first Christmas to give hope to the rest of mankind and for us. Because when we follow Christ Jesus, he promises to be with us and he promises a future that the best is yet to come. Something beyond our imagination. It's much better than we can even think or conceive. 
that's the hope we have in following, uh, in following Jesus. And praise God for this grace that he's freely bestowed on us. We did not deserve it, but he has given it to us at great cost himself. Let's pray together. Lord, this truth of the gospel, the good news in Christ Jesus, is so beyond us in many ways. It goes against the teachings and the culture of this world who looks to material things, to acquiring things, to power, to prestige, as bringing meaning. Lord, we pray that your spirit would continue to confirm in us who follow you that you are with us as you have promised to the very end of the age, that you have prepared a place for us in your Father's house, Lord Jesus, that you are going to bring us into your kingdom that is established on earth once and for all in reality and reign with you for eternity. Lord, I look forward to that day. But Lord, we pray that you'd give us power and perseverance in the meanwhile until this life ends for us and our new life begins in our new bodies, in our resurrected bodies. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.